This is Thomas DePolo. This is Max. This is Kevin Ham. Hey, this is Jake Cook. Hi, this is William Roy. You're listening to The Green Box. So I uh, had a question. I had an issue come up in a recent game where I had given the players some information uh, and they had clearly just forgotten about it. You know, they, as so often happens, you give an info dump or a bunch of interesting things and they remember A, B, and D, but they forget about C. So I didn't want to just stop the game and be like, hey, remember, C is a thing, because then I feel like I would set the expectation that every time they're on the wrong path, I will correct them. But I could tell they had just forgotten it. Like we're legitimately missing a piece of the puzzle. So is anybody running to that or, or have any suggestions on how to get the get people back on track? Aren't you always the person who says you should always be able to like take a step back away from the table and be like, hey guys, I fucked up. Well, I didn't fuck up. If I fucked up, yes. But they fucked up. I told oh, them they okay. fucked up. So the, the problem is that the players have missed something that you've already given. Yeah. And okay. if I stop the game and say, hey, you're missing something, then the expectation becomes... Everything they assume is true because Kevin will stop the game and tell them it's not true. I don't want to set that expectation. Are, are they taking notes? Because um, like if you're playing maybe. in a if you're playing in Delta Green, you should probably be taking notes because a lot of times people can miss something just because they didn't write it down. Um, a lot of a lot of scenarios are kind of like tricking water through a fire hydrant, you know? Just all this like info it's dumping. Like in, info dumping. What did I say? You said fire hydrant. Yeah, man. Fucking crank Which that I mean, shit open isn't wrong it's just not no no see clearly you've never been to a summertime block party where they just ratchet the fire hydrant open and the water is pouring out freely i don't think that actually happens i think that's like from films from a long time ago i it's 1976 and you can't tell me nothing. that's a long time ago jake it was I, like I 50 just, years ago i just remembered one of my past lives Nice. More than fifty years ago. So, anyways, for the purposes of of your question, I would say either they've taken notes and they've missed it, uh, or they have not taken notes. This is the moment where I'm running a game and I stand up and say, uh, "I'm going to go to the bathroom. Why don't you guys review notes and compare uh, what you've got, and maybe?" Um, and then, but I don't actually go to the bathroom, and, and I sit there and say, I, "What what notes?" <laughs> I, I sit, I sit there and listen. If I'm running a game on Discord, that is, I'll just sit there and listen to like what they're talking about and what they're scheming about. You know, I, I appreciate you doing it in in a, in a prison game. I'm going to go to the bathroom and you just stand you up. Just go to the next room. No, just hide, hide the corner. I just, I just stay there behind the GM screen and they're like, "Are you going to go to the bathroom?" And I'll be like, "I am." You know, I, I actually want to do that. Mountain Dew cup. Bring it I actually want to do that sometime. Like, take like well, I'm going to go go to the bathroom and then like set my my the microphone on my Chromebook to record and listen to it on my phone. See what they're talking about. It's <laughs> good because um, we, we talked about like what the players greatest fears are or what they discuss when you're not around. But anyways, uh, just take a tactical pause and reflect on uh, everything that they've said. And if you have a moment to interject, you know, um, uh, sometimes I'll like um, go over what they've just repeated back to me and I'll make sure that I slip like an important thing in, like in the middle of like a series of items. Like you got the drug report, you got, you know, the DNA results that came back. And then like, I'll do the important thing as like the third thing a lot of the times. And then I'll list like a fourth or fifth thing. 
I think if you're if they're running back through their notes, then it's more appropriate for you to step in with like a correction. Hey, remember that guy's got ten bodyguards at all times. Actually, uh, you you know you were told he's got five bodyguards, like because that's like more of a administrative check. You're not really giving them a hint, like you're just kind of running through it rather than waiting until they go to attack the compound and waiting for them. Because what happens sometimes, like. Uh, I'm going to run with the bodyguards example. They think there's 10 bodyguards. You know there's five. So they're spending a huge amount of time like buying extra guns. Where's the, where's, the, where's the third pig? Yeah, exactly. So like, you don't want them to do that, but you don't want to just stop the, them. The third Maybe pig. The natural pause can work. Yeah, Have you, you never, never, never heard the third, third pig, pig, Will? You take three pigs. I, I haven't even heard the first right. and second pig. You, you take three pigs. You write one, two, and four on, on the pig. One on each pig. And you release uh-huh. it into an area. And they, yeah. they find the pigs, and then they're like, where's the third pig? And they keep looking. <laughs> there is a great video we'll put in the show notes of a helicopter flying over to an aircraft carrier. And they land, and they just, like, push three live pigs out onto the flight deck and then lift off. And you just see like, <laughs> all the people are running around like, what, what do you do? How do you deal with this? Anyways, yeah, uh, correcting misconceptions they have about what uh, information they know is good also. Um, sometimes... Do you guys get where players feel like they're defeated a little bit? Like, like we ran through all the possibilities and nothing's panning out. And like, they just have like the wrong attitude about the information that they've been presented with. I've run into that. Yeah. I'm very willing to, to, to say out loud when I'm stuck, if I'm playing this game, I mean, asking them to take a tactical pause, uh, I think is sensible. Um, because that allows you to kind of step in and correct things if they're, if they're wrong. Um, but I know that I'm, I'm just very wary when I'm just sitting back and letting the players come up with plans. If they're planning on bad intel, it's very, it's very, I'm very wary about not wanting to immediately correct it. So I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to set the wrong expectation there. But I also don't want to let them keep landing with bad intel because, you know, that sucks as a player. There's, so, enough, you, there's enough like bad intel. There's enough like intentionally misleading things in the game that I don't want to add more. You're, you're walking the fine, uh, like the, the razor's edge between, wow, this will be really amusing because this is going to go so horribly. And also, oh, I feel bad. I shouldn't let them uh, do this because, you know, that's kind of like against the social contract of like here to have a good time. It's like like, uh, like you'll be munching on some popcorn, enjoying it either way, but you'll feel like a dick if you let them do the, the bad way. Yeah. And I, f- I feel like there's like, you know, I, one of the things I tell players at the beginning of games um and this was funny when I ran a game for an FBI agent and I didn't realize it is I usually say something like, you know, you in real life are not a social operator. You're not an FBI agent. So if you as a player are going to make a decision that is just totally outside the scope of your, that your character would know, um, you know, I will try to, I, I will stop for a second and try to give you a chance to make, explain why that maybe doesn't make sense from a character perspective. Um, but that's really only, I've only ever had to do that in a few really egregious cases. Um, I think one we may have even talked about was the, I had a player who was really focused on trying to get a warrant for something, but it was clearly one, it was clear they wouldn't need a warrant because they were just going to go in there and shoot everybody and leave. And two, it was clearly an exigent circumstances case. So I was like, your character would know there's a bunch of ways to get around this warrant situation. The player didn't know that. So that was one of the times I've used that, but I don't use it all the time because I'm playing the game. Yeah. It's also not fun to be spoon fed stuff all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Then they're not playing. They're just watching me tell a cool story that they, get to sift through and roll dice occasionally but i find if you let players roll the dice then things can become unmanageable so has anybody else had an issue with that or has anybody else you know had the either not spoken up and letting players you know sleep with a lie or spoken up and had it be an issue uh i'm reminded of one 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 instance that does stick out in my memory so i'm running beyond the mountains of madness right um and there's a point where 
the explorers have the opportunity to listen into a radio conversation in German. So I take aside the one player who speaks German and I, I read out the text box of what's being said. Do you think we hear the speaker side of the conversation and the speaker tells the, the other person on the radio, look, why don't you help? Why don't you come up here and, and help us get over these mountains? I've got the airplanes. You've got the tanks. That's referring to oxygen tanks. Uh, so then he goes back to the party. He goes, all right, so the Germans are bringing uh, tanks up up to Antarctica. We we got to get the fuck out of here. And I'm like, um, the German word for oxygen tank and battle tank are totally different. So that's not what she said. He's like, oh, 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 that kind of tank. That seems like a really common point for that this sort of thing to happen is where you pull one player aside and give them certain information. And then because of some misunderstanding or misconception on their part, they relay bad information to the rest of the players, which they believe in. They're not trying to trick yeah. the players. Most of the time, I'm okay with that because that's funny. It, it's yeah. a game of telephone. You know, the, uh, the group uh, exercise where, you know, you got 15 people in a circle. You whisper in the first person's ear a message, and then it's supposed to make its way all the way around the circle until you get like an incomprehensible, incorrect thing at the end of it. Something I've done with games in the the, uh, the cowboy era, uh, if if I have a lot of extra time on my hands, is I will take aside the one like the cell leader, and I will brief him on on the mission. Then the cell leader goes and briefs his other two agents on the mission, and then the th- the other two agents then go and brief the friendlies. And it's it's fun to see what what gets distorted in that process of telephone. Oh, Jesus, I mean that that, that could be amusing, but uh, has it ever ended up like? disruptively bad it hasn't no they're usually pretty good about that okay that's good i think i might try to pick a happy medium if like for me to use your mountains of madness example um take the one german player aside tell them what's up and then give them the handout translated so then they can brief back the other players but in real life you'd have a back and forth wait tanks did he say you know megan flugen or flugen flargen oh oxygen tanks okay so give them an, i don't think your german is very good Kevin. I don't think my English is very good. Why would my English be any better? You know, or like if you're going to give a briefing, right? Like give the paper briefing to the the leader. Speak, talk to him about it, hand the paper briefing, then let him brief down and hand down the paper so that if there's a question about like specifics, it's written down. You don't need to clarify. Yeah. Having something written down that they the, the players can refer to uh, helps a lot with avoiding misconceptions that could lead to bad decisions, which is why I encourage players to take notes, and sometimes they do. Which is also probably, it's an incentive to take notes, but also to use handouts, I think, as a GM, now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, well, I think- I'll, do, I'll do handouts for things that I know are important, but I don't know what every player is going to find important, so I encourage people to always take, to take notes whenever you think you have something important. I've started to use increasingly the handouts just because uh, I find that if I list a long amount of information, the players do not even they might not they might not remember it they might not even be listening to it the first time this goes back to our we had an episode a while ago maybe a year or two ago about um keeping descriptive texts relatively short in order to make sure that the players were listening the entire time and give them the opportunity to ask questions rather than doing the whole thing at once and if you are going to make a long descriptive text yeah it was three sentences was about how long you had the thing to remember is that um it is very good to give people a handout, especially if it's a longer descriptive text, because, it, or especially if it has a list of items, because they're not going to remember the list items. I did that once uh, for a scenario where there was like a plane crash, and like uh, over time the players would were like. Were survivors? Uh, no, actually, they were really tragic. Who would crash the, a plane with no survivors? There were no survivors, is what I'm hearing. 
Yeah. The, Who would the, do that? The, the, the oh, plane. Hey, were, there, were there artifacts aboard? <laughs> oh no. Hey, but like, wait, did it crash on the border between Canada and the U.S.? And then where did they bury the survivors? Well, there were no survivors. They don't bury survivors. Not um, yet, anyways. It. That meme was fun. It crashed. It crashed inside of a building, and there's no like entry uh, damage. It just crashed. You know. It, anyways, it, it it teleported inside. Well, it's a well known one known fact that uh, jet fuel can't crash concrete pillars. But anyways, they inventoried the wreckage of the plane, and like you know, people have like books on board airplanes. Like uh, they, uh, I, I've seen how like the NTSB does uh, investigations, and they'll lay out like a bunch of common uh, items all in a pile. And like it was really grim one time just to see like uh several r- neat little rows of like books that people who died on this airplane crash were reading but I, I put that in a scenario and i just gave the list of books of items in there and one of them was like the tome item and it was like obviously fake so like it was a handout yeah, but it was just text that i sent over you know discord or whatever um and people were able to like spot the fake after a while but they had to work for it and i think that is the kind of similar to what you do with handouts will which is a good way to get information out there i really it, it's more immersive handouts definitely enhance gameplay oh yeah so you know all those i've spoken before about the way i run artifact zero whereas i just put the agents in the basement and then they just have like a bunch of handouts that i physically hand to them yeah and then you fuck off and, and go get coffee the way that that scenario was originally written uh, all of that information is supposed to come out through like narrative description and investigation and stuff. I would like, oh, well, I, I go and I talk mind. to his doctor. Well, here's what he tells you. I go and talk to the court. The, the, Jesus Christ. I'd lose my mind. Uh, it, yeah. th- that's better than if it's like I, the handler, just read all this aloud to you. Because, oh, my God. Yeah. So one of the things, Jake, when you mentioned taking a tactical pause, I know we're used to uh, Night of the Opera. We run a lot of kind of one-shots where like, the game was over at the end. Uh, but if you're not... You know, if you're, if you're taking a week off in between sessions, when you start the next session, it's good to start with like, all right, everybody remember where you're at. What's the last couple of things you did? What do you find? And that's another good place you could insert. You could you could correct them on the clue they've missed. Whenever I'm doing an extended campaign or an extended scenario over multiple sessions, I always start with that. That's always a good thing to start with. And uh, in fact, if you notice your players having a hard time remembering what's happened last week. Number one, get better players. Number two, you can do that, and in addition, at the end of the session, you can be like, "All right, recap. What do we learn today?" Oh, just get get better players. Just get into my just get player, player cannon. Fire off in a new good player land where all the players grow on trees. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that sounds good. I think as a player, you can also give yourself a little bit slack on this. If even if you're not necessarily taking notes out of character as a human being, you could also specify in the fiction that your character would be taking notes or doing something that would allow the GM to say, yeah, here's how you remember it. Like you might have a voice recorder and you're recording all your interviews with important NPCs or you might might say, oh yeah, my character jots that down on a notepad. Like you can do things within the fiction to kind of give an out for yourself. Yeah, sure. In fact, you, you, you most of the time, you can probably assume that agents are doing that anyway, because I mean, most agents that come into Delta Green are coming in from background where they would do things like that, like taking notes in the course of their everyday job. So, I mean, yeah, if you're the player in that situation and the handler gives you shit about it, be like, I, my, I'm literally a fucking FBI agent. I have, do you want me to write notebook on my character sheets? <laughs> but the the thing that I find when I'm when I'm in that situation as a player is I. I, I don't want to ask too many times in the same sentence, hey, Handler, what was the name of this 
NPC or what was this this detail that I'm using to draw a conclusion from? Because then I then I feel like I'm not like I don't I, I never I, I'm always careful that I, I don't want to give the handler the sense that I'm not engaged. And some sometimes I feel like if I'm asking too many things, then it seems as though I'm not really paying attention, and then I, I feel bad. I know a lot of people are kind of adverse to this mechanic, but there is the old Call of Cthulhu idea roll, which I think is supposed to be the Delta Green's int times five roll. Or if you're yes. like if like a last ditch effort, if you're ever just really stuck, just roll it to see whether the GM can help you like connect a clue with something that you might have missed out as a player. I don't like that it's not necessarily like the best way to handle it because it's contingent upon the die roll and you're still like stuck there if nothing else happens, you know, which was a reminder about the episode we have about don't roll dice unless there's consequences for it. Right. I think that gets to the question of, again, why do we have these mechanics for giving you information without a dice roll? If you know you can just blow the times five roll, do you not get anything in that circumstance? Uh, See, I, I think it's funny if you if you ask them to roll over, if you want to give them a clue, have them roll. They blow it, give them the clue anyway, and then they're like, "Wait, what? What did what we? What did we miss? There must be more." That's almost exactly what I've done in the past with it. Is, is I'll, I'll ask for the roll for the clues, and then they blow it. All right, well, here's the clues. There you go. Or here's most of the clue. Enough of this. Or what I'll do is I'll go. Here's the clue, and if you if they nail the roll, then I'll be like, and here's how they fit together. Because sometimes that's all that they, that's all that a player needs is they just need someone to nudge them and go, yeah, this piece fits over here, and they go, oh. Or there's one little clue that they realized was a clue, but they hadn't clued it. They hadn't um, realized the significance of it. They're like, that's important, but I haven't figured out how. So we've been kind of operating under the assumption that. Uh, so far that you had information you gave it to the players and then they lost it somehow and you're trying to correct that so that they're not operating in the dark um especially in delta green but in a lot of games sometimes you as the writer of a scenario or the runner of a scenario don't want to give them all the information by design they some of the clues they have to infer for themselves so it's kind of a different thing but let's uh Let's go down that road a little bit. You mean like if the scenario isn't like three clue rule compliant or, you know, if there's just, if it by design, it's like not got enough information to move things forward. I think the, I think so when you say it that way, it makes it sound like if it's not three clue rule compliant, it's not good. So I, I don't want to say this is like a failing of the scenario because sometimes scenarios are written to be that you need to make some inferences or make some, you know, deductions. Things need to be hard. Yeah. So I, I don't want to frame it as like, it's a bad scenario. It's by design, you know, believe it at that. So let me kind of follow up on that, Kevin. Uh, in the Sherlock Holmes video games, you can find enough clues to sort of narrow down to two or three different possibilities as to who committed this crime or who did the murder or whoever. But then there are never enough clues that you can say definitively, oh, this person did it and this is why and this is how. There's always some slight element of doubt. And there's always a choice you, the player, have to make of your own intuition and your own understanding of the clues. That's kind of what you're arguing for, right? Yeah, or just, I mean, I mean, we looked at the last, the last thing we talked about was all like complete information. Some scenarios, either by omission or even by overload, I'll use um, Iconoclast as an example. If, if you actually find all the clues on Iconoclast, you have a ton of clues. You don't need all of those to solve the puzzle. They might all help in some way, but if you try to string every clue together in a coherent narrative, you're never going to do it. Too many things have, you know, and same in reality, you're going to have all these clues like at a crime scene. That one might just be the janitor's footprints from two days ago. It has nothing to do with the case. So you don't have a perfect knowledge of the, of the crime or of the situation. So either because 
either because it's designed that way and you don't have enough clues and you're missing clues or you have too many clues how does how can we help players one how can we write that so it's solvable and not just too hard and how can we help players go down that path i think that's really interesting i think that's a really good point because you go back to what jake said i think the way you would do this in a role-playing game is you do follow three clue three clue rule three clue rule only says that any information you absolutely need to reach the end of the scenario needs three instances of but for any other extraneous information you can have fewer and maybe that information isn't relevant to the case or maybe it is relevant but while it may color your understanding and your decisions it isn't necessary to reach a conclusion i, I do like uh the idea of like flavor clues that would have they influence the decisions that players will make by the end of it because like let's say that you can you have enough information that you know that the the who the perp is or like who, who the bad guy is but you don't really understand like their motive uh there's like clues that you know you can establish means and you can establish opportunity but sometimes you can't establish motives yeah i think in the sherlock holmes games motive is a big one for this sort of thing another one is the identity of the precise murder weapon like maybe it's between two different weapons and then that might change who did it or what time the murder was committed something like that well, I think it's it's worth having the discussion because if one thing I've seen is if say there are say say, say the players would need five clues to solve the puzzle 100 percent and they have four of them and they just aren't going to get the fifth because because you you want to make them infer something they may not want to move forward until they've found that last clue and there just isn't something to find so you don't want to just tell the players yeah you're done here because then in the future they'll just keep searching until you say they're done but you don't really want them to keep banging their head against the wall and oh let's try rolling search on the fireplace let's try humanting the phone book let's try singing the computer you know whatever like all right so how do you move players forward uh, or, or stops how do you stop that bottleneck from happening especially when you've designed it that way and don't want to you know kind of give up we got a good scenario we could oh, I, would, I don't know if it's good or not everybody has different opinions but one we can use as like a common example is last things last there are a few things that are absolutely vital and necessary for the for the scenario to move forward the fact that he owns the cabin and the fact that there's a septic tank in the cabin those are like the two like most vital parts of that scenario right agreed i like to go in and sprinkle clues about who clyde bowman is whenever i run this i like to you know add in the fact that he's a grandpa yeah who he is like who he was no no, well, that's just the question, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Whether he uh, still is. Whether we stop being fucked. Is, is he or ain't he? Uh, anyways, who he is, who he was, whatever. I, I like I like to put things in there that tell you more about him and his life because it's sort of like the last things that's supposed to be like a reminder for agents of like what their life will be or what it can become. And it's kind of sad because he's this dude who lives in this like rundown apartment and you can tell that he's got a grandkid and he and he, he likes his grandkid maybe he doesn't get to see her enough i, I like to you know kind of add like more human elements to it with like clues that uh establish like who the person is and that can make you wonder like why he did it why he turned his wife into that monster and you might not always get that information if you just go to the cabin go to the septic tank don't open it pour the gasoline directly in you know I hadn't thought about last things last, but that's, yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking of. That's a good point. Well, it all, and it also has the over clue, if, the overabundance of clues in the footlocker is a bunch of just trinkets from his old investigations. And I've had players latch onto those. It's got to be a sky serpent. It's got to be magnetic glass. It has, you know what I mean? Like, so well, last things last actually has both the issues we're talking about. Yeah, it's the 
Uh, Sky Devil in the septic tank. Sky Devil, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Nice. I still got to write that one. Uh, it's funny you mentioned the Sherlock Holmes video game, Tom, because there's that really famous Sir Arthur Conan Doyle quote about uh, once you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, no matter how improbable, must be the truth. And when you're playing a game like Delta Green, you can eliminate the impossible. That's one of the problems with uh, designing a, del- a scenario for an investigative game in a world where um, technically A can be connected to B through any means that are conceivable. So one thing that I always wonder when I'm playing Delta Green is, you know, how realistic is it for my character to like see to like see someone acting strange and assume, oh, they've been they're possessed or oh, they've swapped bodies with somebody else because. Really, if my character knows this is a world where magic and aliens and technology are real, then at any point when there's something that I can't explain or something strange is happening, I could assume pretty much anything is going on. I mean, Delta Green is, is, a, is a situation where a wizard did it. It's the only way it actually could be true. I th- That's still a good point, though. I'm thinking of Control Copy and how the Delta Green partnership guys, they keep saying that just a little bit of mythos stuff is enough. And that's true for horror, but it's also true that really before, if a scenario is going to be manageable, it really should be just about figuring out the parameters of a particular spell or a particular monster. Because otherwise, yeah, just any old thing could happen. And that's why I'm kind of a Nazi about all the stuff, like, you know, wizard shit, aliens, monsters, functioning according to some logic or rules. Because if there is, if it is not discoverable, the parameters of how a specific thing works, or at least how it interacts with the stuff in the scenario, maybe not necessarily its ultimate nature, but you know, here's what it does when it touches a human being, or here's how how the spell this guy has works. If that's not subject to some consistency, then the scenario is essentially unplayable or is playable only as reacting to a series of ever-changing, seemingly random circumstances. Yeah, there has to be internal consistency, even if it's like non-Newtonian. As long as the physics follow some rules, then the players can figure it out and make sense of it. Yeah, it, it doesn't have to be all the answers. It just has to be enough to interact with the mystery in a satisfying way. Tom, I remember you running into this um, particular uh, issue of... Um, of players reaching the limit of what the clues could tell them with logic because the solution was something sorcerous in your scenario, Black Mayonnaise, which is a scenario that I really like, but which I remember having this problem when we play tested it. Right. It was something like that where I guess the spell did have very specific rules, but the rules didn't really follow from the information you guys already had been given. So yeah, there was a moment where you basically, I think it was Will and Dole basically had to sit down and perform a bunch of experiments, and I narrated out exactly what was going on to you. Yeah, we had it backwards to begin with, I remember. And I think it's not necessarily bad to have scenarios where the players have to make logical leaps. I wrote a scenario called Who Killed the Case Officer, which is about presenting players with a large number of clues and none of which point directly to what's actually happening, but which through various inconsistencies in the story that they tell can reveal what's happening. And the players that I was playing with got it almost immediately because I'd sort of primed them by talking for 
a period of several years about how I was going to write a scenario where this exact thing happened. But at the same time, they said that it felt satisfying to them to solve the mystery in this way. So when you do figure out the the thing that there was no direct link to, it can be a very strong moment for the scenario and for the players. Very thoroughly. Yeah, I think that's that sounds really fun with Who Killed the Case Officer. And I think it would be satisfying. I'm glad to hear it was satisfying in Black Minis anyway, because that's one of my sort of fears with running this sort of scenario is just that uh, that I guess you're not really putting together a lot of information in the clues and it doesn't necessarily seem like it matters that you're just kind of following the trail of proper nouns until you get to the ending. Yeah. So yeah, having to cross this one little gap of information yourself, I think would be really satisfying. I'm going to bring it back to the scenario um, observer effect because I'm, I'm, we have, we have very different opinions on it. And I'm almost wondering if one of the reasons why we have such differing opinions on it is that uh, will, when you ran it for the group originally, no one figured out what was happening until you basically had us make intelligence rolls and and just tell us because it was clear that we weren't getting anywhere. Where uh, and so that essentially rather rather than you know just let the scenario spiral into uh, endless uh, reiterations, you said, "All right, I got to move this forward." But I'm wondering if uh, people who solved the puzzle themselves of how it worked instead found it to be a very satisfying challenge. I can kind of speak to that. Uh, and although first I'm curious, Will, was, was that the playtest version or the final version? It was the final version. All right. So I've run that That's until Iconoclast came at, or until Iconoclast existed, depending on where we are in reality, that may or not exist yet. But until Iconoclast, Observer Victim was my favorite scenario. So, and I've run it probably one, three times that I can remember, maybe four times. Um, one was, two were the playtest and two were final in the final version. So one, there were some fixes there that made it, made it better. Um, but I think maybe three out of four times the players have figured it out, but only after the first, like, I guess spoilers for Observer Effect, only after they all die the first time in a, in a hail of gunfire. Um, and even then, they figured out what they needed to do, but not why it was happening. They just knew they needed to destroy the weird shit they saw, which was good enough. Uh, but some of that was also like they, you know, I've had players focus, hyper focus on like wanting to talk to people and not looking at the notes in one of the rooms. So and if you don't look at those notes, you're not going to get some of the deeper clues of what's going on. So I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. But uh, I guess I guess I guess all I was going to say is, or I was trying to say is that I've seen Zero Effect kind of go both ways. Max, what was your initial question about Zero Effect? Maybe I can try that again without rambling so much. My question was, uh, Kevin, when you played it, did the players discover the way that the effect worked on their own without needing to be told that the solution was to stop people from being consciously aware of the magical physics experiment? Um, so I don't. I don't think. Maybe one out of four very realized that it was their own awareness causing the problem. Probably two out of four just realized they needed to just destroy what was there, and then that would do enough. And then one out of four just didn't solve it. So, but the two, the two that didn't understand the deeper underlying re- meaning why still enjoyed the scenario and still got a win out of it. They just didn't really, you know, they, they didn't get all the clues to make, to make to make that happen. I usually at the end of a scenario, usually I'll I'll do like a little Q and A. I'll be like, hey, you guys are done. Did a great job. What do you want to know about the scenario? And sometimes people will ask, like, what the hell is going on? And then I'll explain it. Sometimes they won't. We've talked before about how players are going to generate their own false leads. And so there's not really a point to including deliberate red herrings. I'm wondering. Yeah. yeah and I'm wondering this one, the one thing about this deliberate 
uh, lack of information is you do need something that isn't the right answer, but looks like it. So I'm wondering how we still feel about that after this. My feeling is that I'm fine with false leads, especially if it's a deliberate attempt by an NPC to deceive the player characters or to thwart an investigation. So it's not something that I've inserted into the scenario just because happenstance made it look like the appropriate clue. Like, you know, one of the one of the characters was a fan of like a specific book or piece of music that looks like wizard item, but is seriously just nothing. But more along the sense of the perpetrator of the killing deliberately tried to make it look like somebody else. Oh, I see what you're saying. I think that's much more interesting than just a coincidence. Like deliberate misleadings or deliberate red herrings. Uh, I guess if it's deliberate, it's not really red herring. But anyways... No, it is because the original concept of the red herring was something that you would do to to, to escape pursuit. At least that's the folk etymology of the term. Ah, okay. No, that makes sense. People just use it now. The The folk etymology of the term red herring, and I have no idea whether this is true, is that if you were being pursued by an animal that was um, trained by law enforcement to detect your scent, you could get the animal to stop pursuing you by depositing a rancid fish that would scramble its sensory abilities. The sensory, the, the, the rancid fish, the red herring. Oh, I got that. I've never, uh, today I learned. Yeah, today I learned. But uh, what you're saying is red herrings are good if it's like a meaningful uh, thing and you shouldn't put them in there just as like a dead end waste of time. Well, I don't know because I agree with what Tom said that even if you're not going to put in obvious, like, sorry, deliberate misdirections, if the only things in the scenario are clues, then there's no like discovering what's important because I think there is. There, there's a there's a time and a place to just tell the players, hey, this is the important element, and this is what will be fun for you to pursue, because that's where the content is. But there is also a place for people have to decide what information is relevant, because if there's no chaff whatsoever, then it's really just click the shiny object over and over again until you get to the end. Well, the thing is, there's always chaff, though, because there's always descriptions of things that aren't clues. I think it's important if you're going to have an NPC using misdirection to throw the players off, that the players can at some point discover that because that will, that will one, throw all the other clues they got into scrutiny. But also, if they learn that, then they go, oh, it wasn't just somebody, you know, it wasn't just the handler fucking with us. It was the bad guy. Now we really got to get him for this. So, but so if you just include a red herring just as a way uh, to try to throw the players off and the players can't ever discover that that was what happened, I think, it's, I think that's used kind of poorly. Um, so like a dead end kind of poorly, but a, a misdirection good. Right. That's what I'm getting out of what Melon's saying is that it's not really irrelevant. It might look irrelevant at first, but you will eventually come back to the main chain of the mystery. So it's just a less efficient way of getting there. And one thing I like, this is maybe a side tangent, but no, that's Will's problem to edit out later. Uh, one thing side I like to, tangent? Like to, a regular tangent? Like a well, tangent? Yeah, off. No, yeah, no, because it goes off like 90 degrees. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, obviously. Uh, it goes three to 60 degrees and then walks out. Right, anyway. right, right. Uh, I like to give myself some outs. So where I know if the players are struggling and I need to give them an extra clue, have it built in. But if they aren't struggling, they don't need to get that clue. They can just move on. So like as an example, you can make a scenario where maybe the, the, the guy misdirects you to think that he came um, from like a certain area. And then the, that bad guy is there surveilling the agents. When the agents go to investigate the red herring area, maybe they maybe they can spot him surveilling them because they need an extra clue you can give it to them there and then they realize oh shit he's over here to watch us 
he's a mastermind. Or if they're already on the case, they can just go there and do some investigation, realize it's a dead end and move on. But it gives you, as a handle, it gives you that ability to kind of mid- midway through the game, either force them to clue in or not. So I know we were going to talk about info hazards today, but I don't know how we're going to do it without infecting our listeners. Just uh, remind everyone that they just lost the game. It's kind of the opposite of what you were suggesting, but... I have this image of a chicken that says chicken game. Don't look at the chicken. And in the middle of the chicken are the words game over. And uh, I have a habit of printing it out at work and hiding it places. And one guy said... So one guy was... I was helping him unload his car like six months ago. And I had one in, in my folder. So as he wasn't looking, I threw one into a briefcase he had in the back of his truck, back of his trunk. And I guess he found it like four months later, like at like some family event, <laughs> pops it open and there's the damn chicken. It's like the yellow sign or something just appearing and ruining your life for no apparent reason. I, I got to admit, the first time I ran into one of Delta Green was a, a game Max ran. And I actually got really annoyed because I didn't know what I was, I as a player didn't understand what was happening. And so the, the NPC that my guy was interacting with got really defensive and like ran away. And I was just like, wow, this guy's being aggressive and stupid for no reason. I've done nothing to provoke this. So like, Kevin, I, I honestly almost like, I almost like black, ba- like thought about black bagging him, which we talked about many times is like a terrible reaction to have. No, this is, this is the cycle. The, the Delta green player does some completely inoffensive and not at all off-putting stuff. The NPC reacts by running away and hiding. The Delta Green player assumes he must know something. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't know what... So that was my first, you know, after the end of the scenario, you know, knowing what I knew then, you know, made more sense. But at the time, I was like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. So my main question with info hazards is how do you communicate that to players without just saying it's an info hazard and kind of spoiling it? I mean, they have to discover that it's an info hazard, right? I mean, how do you make that fun? Yeah, uh, that's the question. So I, I have one experience with it. It was not fun. How, if I want to do this in one of my games, how do I do better? You having one experience with it is more than my zero. So I guess maybe we want to talk about what they are more generally than just like try and discuss like theory and how to use them and shit first. Yeah, so what are they more generally? Um, so my idea when I think of the info hazard, I think of something that like when you know about it, it becomes dangerous. But like prior to that, it was perfectly harmless to you. So like uh, I used the example of like the game before, you know, that thing that you played in middle school where when you talk about the game, you've lost the game. That's that's sort of it I'm gonna, in my mind. I'm going to suggest something that's a, a more Delta Green related example of that. In the sure. original, the original content that inspired the Delta Green has a lot of lore about the Tilling Gas Resonator, and it's become bound up in all this shit about time travel that I do not like. But the original concept of Tilling Gas Resonator comes from the short story The Beyond. And The Beyond is a story about a machine that makes creatures visible to you that live in other dimensions. And because the creatures are visible to you, they are able to hunt you. Because you can see them, they can see you. Okay, yeah, that's the the little whatever, they, the vores and... Uh... The handler's guy. The yeah, ones, he said the, the secret word. The liquivore, the tumbleweed one. He said it that. again. I don't I don't understand what's happening here. Now I now I relate with Kevin and his experience of not knowing and I just want to like black bag you and find out. Um 
So yeah, kind of like knowing about something makes it dangerous. Then it's like uh, in a nutshell, right? Yeah, and simply like I know somebody has suggested Freddy Krueger as an example from modern pop culture. Yeah, I, I put that. In the so like you know, if if you if you know of this individual, then you can dream about him and he can cause problems. But if you're blissfully unaware, then it can't harm you. The four chan one where it's like you start typing and then like the middle of your sentence is cut off. Are you talking about? It's a, it's a very it's an older I don't know, one. I don't mean the character from from Freakazoid? Candle Jack. Well, Jake, um, Candlejack isn't real because when you post about him, then suddenly... <laughs> Candlejack is an, is an example of this meme, yes. All right, so I guess, you know, we've spoken kind of generally... Um, the original I- concept of it was uh, something called the Berryman Logical in- Imaging Technique, which is invented by a writer called David Langford. And he wrote a story about the Berryman Logical Imaging Technique where... Uh, some computer scientists discovered that there was a certain type of fractal image that if your brain looked at it, it just caused you to enter a permanent vegetative state because it uh, caused like an infinite loop that just basically caused a memory leak in your head so that all of your processing power was used on the image and then you died. And then the story was about a guy who would go around town and uh, tag walls with it using a stencil because he was uh, a big racist and he was trying to get rid of all the the Pakistanis in his neighborhood or whatever. But then um, the way that he avoided looking at the creature that he was spray painting, the parrot is what they called it because it was shaped like a parrot, was with these special goggles that scrambled his vision. But the problem was that he, he spent so long going around stenciling it that he lo- he had seen it so many times in using his um, goggles that his brain was able to complete the shape, and so uh, he dies of essentially um, info hazards in a police holding cell after the bug uh, gets into his brain as a result of his own hubris. So, I man, I feel like an info hazard is a really cool narrative element and a really evocative thing to put into a story. But I struggled to know to figure out how it could be used in interactive role-playing game especially where there's an element of horror and an element of investigation right so um how do you investigate like any other sort of like a crime you know like you look up you look at the thing you say this person got shot in the head and you go from there right it's kind of the same thing i guess um just take the the blit guy the bearman logical whatever he's in his jail cell um you don't know how or why he died but his brain is fried um you just kind of go from there like there's got to be more clues to follow right so in the story what happened when they first discovered that the pictures were a bad thing to look at is a guy at a computer science laboratory died and then a bunch of other people came into the room and they're like what the fuck he's dead what was he researching and they all looked at the picture and also died (laughs) and it was only it was only confined space it was only after like the third or fourth wave that people figured out that a picture was killing people. The real life. Uh, the real life. Similar, so so you got to find it out some way. I think that story might have come out after the world's funniest joke sketch on Monty Python, which is a similar concept. The real life analog to that being um, people who enter a confined space, all the oxygen is gone and they die. And someone runs around the corner and goes, oh, my buddy's dead. Let me go help him. They run in there. And then the next guy. And the next guy. Yeah, like a hazmat situation. Huh? It's a... Uh, Info hazmat situation. So, uh, yes, yeah, so you got to have some clues to follow. So, what, uh, besides like 
just this image or this object or something like that, like looking at it, like fucks you up. What are like other ways it could manifest or like other clues you could leave behind if you're going to write these in your games? Well, I feel like if it's something that if the info hazard just kills you, then you really have to either give the players some foreknowledge or telegraph it really clearly. Like, um, I think most people know that if they're playing a game and they see a bunch of people turn to stone, that there's like, I think almost all people would recognize that as a Medusa and something to, they need to like deal with that in a different way. But if the players have no knowledge of these things, then they're going to like, I'll use the example of the, the guy tagging the walls. They're like, maybe they finally just got spray paint and they go check out some of the tags and then they see it, they're dead. That's not very exciting as a player. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Oh, what if, if like the, someone uh, someone realized someone else realized it before the agents got there, and they covered up like one of their eyes or something like that, and they wouldn't tag over it, you know? Like you know, just gotta. It's it's not gonna be like everyone's gonna stare at this thing until they die. Like other people are gonna react to it as well. So yeah, so like one of the ways I think you can make it interesting is if if it's not a if it's not a thing that kills you instantly, then. It's okay to infect the players with it. And then the meta isn't how do I not see this thing or be aware of this thing. It's how do I mitigate the harm in being exposed to it uh, while dealing with the exposure. But if it does kill you, you just have to, I think, figure out a way to make that like known really clearly up front somehow so that the then, then the whole game is avoiding contact with it. But at Delta Green, that can kind of make players really wary to do anything if they think they're going to see something and die. I can see players like locking up at that point, being like, "Well, I'm not going to investigate shit because I don't want to die," which could kind of derail a game. It's a it's like an infection based game. Once the players learn that there's a disease on the loose, they become very cowardly and very boring. So one maybe one solution is to infect them at the beginning of the game, and then the struggle is how do I survive? How do I survive or cure myself or whatever? Like sick again? Yeah, true. How do I un? How do I unsee? Kind of try balls, right? And you stop seeing it. There's a uh, an old funny internet sketch where a, two, a couple's going out to eat or something, and before they leave, one of them is like, "Hey, let me check the weather or check the reservation on the computer." And she goes into his like his history pops down, and she starts reading it, and it just gets like worse and worse. It's like, is 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 some kind of sex too weird? How do I unsee weird sex? And it just keeps going down further and further. She just keeps reading them at him, and he's like, oh, "That's not mine." It's always a favorite of mine. I'll have li- we'll put it in the show notes. So um, your suggestion was like instead of it being something that like instantly kills the person who looks at it, um, just go ahead and, and give them the uh, the info hazard ligma and have them try to figure out how to undo it or how to survive or something. I know we sometimes talked about briefings being kind of the worst part of a Delta Green scenario, but a briefing that has a really strong like here's a bunch of things you can't do and I can't tell you why might be an evocative way to explain to it, folks that there's things more serious going on. Yeah, what do you mean by that? Like, uh... well, if, if you're given a briefing and it's just a normal, uh, air quote, everyday Delta Green scenario where, you know, go hunt the cultists, okay, that's kind of boring. But if the, if the scenario, if the hand was like, go investigate this, and also, you know, you need to source, gog- you know, goggles that block out UV light, and two of you can't be in the same room at the same time, and, you know, one of you needs to be listening to Barry Manilow at a high volume, in one year, like the, the players are like, what the hell are we actually dealing with here? <laughs> well, I guess that would probably just invite a lot of questions to the person that's giving the briefing. They would want to know why. Yeah, well, you, you make right? it one of those Mission Impossible briefings where they get briefed by recording and then it poofs into smoke. Yeah, like a like a dead guy's cell phone telling them what not to do or what to do. I guess. 
Yeah. But why would I listen to him, though? He's dead. So um, another good place for this, I don't, I don't know, good is uh, pretty subjective, but uh, a place where a lot of these are, like, listed, and I just was kind of browsing through it. I've never kind of, I've never taken it seriously. I've never been there before, but uh, the SCP Foundation has a lot of uh, imaginings of this. You guys familiar with that? No, I've never heard of it, even though we've done several episodes mentioning it in the past. I wish I could unlearn about it. Wow. I thought that I was the one who had like an obnoxious amount of vitriol for this website when I really that don't. Bad. I really don't. I really don't like it. Yeah. But that's the person. I, I don't. Uh, I, I don't know much about it honestly, other than the fact that I have some like legal troubles here lately. Right, because because uh, it's now the property of the Russian Federation. Oh, is it? Uh, no, it's a joke, Jake. Um, okay. You know, I realize I realize that I can't meme about this because neither of you have the the requisite background information. Anyway, the uh. The one that I think of when I think of that website and information is the creature that erases itself from the memory of the viewer. And the actual article on it is not that interesting because it's just like, oh, it's definitely not round. It's definitely not colored blue. That's what we know about it. But then the actual story that they wrote is there's two guys on a bench cleaning rifles and they can't remember how they got there. And then one of them's like, shit, it got out, didn't it? And the other one's like, what got out? And he's like, the thing. It's like, what, you mean the one that isn't round? Yeah, it was here, wasn't it? How the fuck should I know? And then, like, ten seconds later, shit, what are we doing here? That sounds a lot like uh, that scenario you wrote for the Jacqueline contest. Yes. Was that, like, an inspiration for you there? Uh, no. The inspiration for that one was uh, from a different media property. They just happened to have some similarities. Well, how do you how do you gamify that, uh, that amnesia? I remember playing in Big Stick, and... Uh, I didn't run into the amnesia thing because my guy used a drone to find the cryptid. I can't recall the specifics of how the memory loss worked there. You just railroad people. You just say, "All right, now you're now you're here. You don't know what happened, but you're in this situation." And as long as you don't go too overboard, like you know, cut someone's arm off or kill their character while they have no control, then they'll think it's cool instead of bullshit. And that's fun. People find that fun. Playing I, games. I do. <laughs> I mean, Jake, you know that I don't actually find playing Delta Green to be that fun. It's one of the reasons why I run it instead of playing it. It almost sounds like uh, like Night Floors is like I know like the yellow sign is supposed to be an info hazard, but um, like the way you're describing Big Stick reminds me of, like Night Floors because in Night Floors things just happen. Well, yeah, that's a that's definitely part of it. the The entire school of thought behind Night Floors is that it's not about. Uh, solving puzzles and players having lots of choices and agency. It's about uh, mysterious forces beyond your control. That's good. That's another angle to take for info hazards, I guess, because uh, we were looking at it from like an investigative angle before, but it could just be like a, like a scenario where players just experience and react to things, or they don't remember reacting to things in uh, some instances. Because uh, the yellow sign, I think, is probably Delta Green's biggest um, info hazard. It's the one like the most people are familiar with. Um, that's the one where you know if you read the play or if you see the, the yellow sign, you start seeing it all over the place until finally you get pulled back into Carcosa, right? Or am I explaining that poorly? I kind of thought the yellow sign has been used in so many things that it it ranges just from simply having knowledge of Carcosa to being like an instant return to sender you know, death warrant. It's got a lot of broad uses and such that I'm not really sure what the canonical, I guess the only canonical would be the, the yellow sign books. So I don't know. I haven't read them. So I don't know. <laughs> we know you don't have to remind us that you haven't read anything. Kevin. 
But I guess um, if you're not reading things, then you're safe from anything that uh, might be contained in them. I think that info hazards are one of the reasons why Delta Green players are afraid to do interesting things. They're afraid that if they read a book, then they'll either be infected with bad information or the other players will think they'll be infected with bad information and shoot them. So, I mean, is that a problem that can be overcome or is that just the world we live in? Yeah, you infect everyone at the start. And then if they want to shoot someone, they can start with themselves. Is that still is that the same as um, uh, shark punching? If you shoot yourself at the beginning and then you tell the tell the guy to bring bring a character who doesn't kill himself after being infected? Well, no, because shark punching was the the guy who punched the shark in that game was doing his due diligence to show to the the guy running the game that if you want people to play a scenario, start the scenario with the first interesting choice instead of giving people the choice to not play. Shark Puncher did literally nothing wrong. Uh, the other like canonical example in Delta Green is that more recent scenario, Last Equation. Have you guys read that one? The Last Equation is like 10 years old, dude. Yeah, it's still more recent than uh, the early 90s. So time's relative, Max. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to find out when it came out. 2012, I think. One second. Yep, 2010. Nice. Uh, it's just uh, time's meaningless and nothing... Nothing you can do can change it or uh, stop it. But anyways. Well, wait, wait uh, a minute. You're, he's right. I saw that scenario get released two years ago. <laughs> That's good. Um, anyways, last equation is the one with like the predetermined set of numbers supposedly um, revealing to you that everything is prescripted. You're like, you don't have any agency, so you can't punch the shark. Um, and free will is an illusion or something like that. But if you don't uh, see Jake, the numbers. confusing. You're confusing it with the button. Oh, they're kind of similar, aren't they? I think or that... I wish Will were here to defend himself. The thing about uh, the scenario last equation is that they specifically... We've, we've talked about this before. They specifically tell you don't bring... The Delta Green in character tells you do not bring a character who has mathematics. And if you don't bring a character who has mathematics, then the scenario is super boring because it's just clean up evidence of this, shoot this guy, whatever. And then if you do bring someone who has mathematics, then that player character is now special. And you get to do a special fun thing. And that's one of the reasons why I think that scenario, and this is a, this is a common opinion now, I think, that scenario is better to start with characters who are not Delta Green and to have them be the mathematicians. Because that's a scenario where going crazy due to a, a mind virus is actually the most fun, fun part because the rest of the yeah. scenario is very kind of straightforward and kind of dry. But it also illustrates one of the problems with info hazards that uh, the follow-up, like the the follow-up act of that scenario, is just go kill all these people who are on the mailing list. Because one of the things that's not fun is just like, all right, we guess this guess we got to go kill everyone who has this information. Roll firearms. But the process, the character who goes crazy because he's got the fucked up mind powers, that's fun. That's better. Yeah, I mean, I'm always looking, for, or I always enjoy a good non-Delta Green Delta Green scenario. So framing it that way makes it a lot more interesting. Probably also turns it into a good, decent con game, because then everybody going crazy is half the fun. Drive it like you stole it, dude. I like how there is, it was released in 2010, and there's one with a 2011 copyright and a 2018 copyright. So these are some examples. Canonically, Delta Green has some info hazards in it. It's got the last equation. It's got the yellow sign, which is one that is given a much more expansive treatment in impossible landscapes which i haven't read yet i have no plans to read because i'd like to play it we may do we may do coverage of that on the show after we've played it if we end up doing that 
And if not, if that's not planned, then just delete this part of the audio. The other one that's canonical to Delta Green is Gollinac. Gollinac is a creature from the British author, I believe it was either Ramsey Campbell or the other dude. And Gollinac is a creature that is represented by a big fat guy with no face and mouths on his hands. And his special power is that if you know his name, if you read the name Gollinac or hear it spoken, you can at any point be transformed into a Gollinac. He can he can possess your body and turn you into a fat guy with with no head. And this creature shows up in one Delta Green scenario called Holy War, which is a war between Gollinac and Glacky, who is another creature invented by the same author, which is a big uh, slug that has spines that make you into an immortal zombie that serves Glacky. Anyway, Gollinac is really he is he has a he is one note has one thing that he does, and then he's kind of boring. That one thing can be done, I think quite well there's a scenario famously uh in i think it was in it's in a cthulhu now book and i don't remember if it was uh the stars are right or uh which which scenario pack it was called love's lonely children which is a scenario about a gollinat cult that's uh mortal coils i thought mortal coils was the one set in like the 1910s you know what? you're right yeah it may be by the same dude though because i think mortal coils is one of the early um pagan publishing ones wasn't it yeah, Mortal uh, Coils is good. Loves, I like Mortal Coils. Loves the children. Yeah, because that's a modern one. It's by Richard Watts, uh, so it's, it's not. In the stars Mortal- are right. Yeah, it's in the stars are right. So, yeah. Loves Only Children is a, is one about a Gollinac cult where there's uh, a family that's been abusing their child to make Gollinac happy because he likes it when you do fucked up sex stuff, and then you can. There's a part in the scenario where. Uh, one of the family members gets transformed into a Gollinac, but if you've been paying attention, you know that there's a vial of like 100% pure undiluted heroin in the uh, in their medicine cabinet, which deals enough damage to instantly kill the Gollinac because it's like one of the most poisonous things ever. That's pretty cool. I was reading this summary, and the prostitute's name is Honeysuckle Rose. Just thought that was funny. Um, the Scenario that I did with Gollinac is the only one I'm ever going to do because it's once it's done, it's done. That's also the one that I was referring to. And after I got past the NPC who annoyed me because I didn't understand what's happening, uh, I had a decent amount of fun. I ended up running over Tom and the monster with a car. I mean, Tom was already dead. Yeah, but well, uh, so the problem, the problem though, is illustrated there is that his character was essentially deleted because he found a piece of information because he investigated, he died, and that is. The thing that I mentioned earlier about Infohazard's uh, promoting overly cautious, uninteresting play. But Tom is the guy who will always poke bad things and read strange books and collect information. And if everyone was like Tom, then we probably wouldn't need this show because we wouldn't have all these problems. Yeah, I mean, so I I think I still fall back on Infohazard's are a neat thing for a narrative. I I don't think I'd ever put them in a game. I was designing just there's too much, too many problems with them. Unless they were either not deadly or... A lot more tangential to the uh, to the central conceit. What do you, Jake? Any plans for a future info hazard related scenario? No, because uh, well, I don't know. This is kind of stimulating a little thought here, but because uh, it's hard to come up with one that's not like one dimensional, like what Max was saying. Uh, the yellow sign has like an entire like universe of lore like behind it. There, Colin uh, Act on the other hand only has like the one one tone, one note to it. Last Equation's a nice... I think that's a nice little medium in between. Although it can also be kind of one note, I guess. Never mind. I don't know. Uh, I don't think I'd 
write anything with an advisor because I still have a hard time even imagining how to write one. I think that Max gave us some pretty good advice just to go ahead and have everyone exposed at the beginning because that's like a fun twist on it. Um, rather than it being, you know, you show up, you investigate a thing, and then you die. Oh, I know another one I did with Info Hazards. Uh, I did a scenario about a woman who had Delta Green wants to 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 sanitize bad websites of internet pornography that have too many mythos elements in them. So snuff footage of ghouls and shit like that. And when you, but then she gets raided by the FBI because they think that she's like collecting child pornography or whatever. And when you go into her uh, files to see, because the FBI agents are in there watching all the files and cataloging them, and depending on which ones you randomly roll on the on the list, they get exposed to different stuff. And there's like three or four in there that are labeled uh, by this NPC who who knows who knows her shit, and you know that she knows her shit because you're sent in there to get to 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 fix the situation by Delta Green. All the all those are labeled do not view, and if you view them, then bad things will happen to you. But the idea is that um, the FBI agents going over the scene will randomly watch different videos, and eventually they'll watch one that causes them to change their behavior. And so when I ran it, they've watched one that made them want to spread it so that more people could see it. And the agents were able to catch them before they could go and play the footage on television and broadcast it to people. Yeah, that probably would have been bad. So stopping the spread is another angle. Then. Stopping the spread, but the problem the problem is that stopping the spread often is just like, oh, just go shoot the people who were um, got it, which is not fun. Or I mean, it's fun the first time, and then after that, it's like, oh, cool, you know, yet another, yet another one of these. Oh, you know what else is you know what else is a good piece of media about uh, the info hazard? Yeah, tell us. I believe it's a Canadian film called Pontypool. And in this, in this film, they not is tracking. what? Oh yes, because he he is. Um, whenever the images start to move, his eyes go blank because he's insulated against info hazards. Look, let's just say that Jake watches movies like I read Lovecraft. He's like, he watches movies like you read anything. <laughs> I mean, I read a lot of stuff, just not Lovecraft. Well, you're I mean, that's wrong because I, I don't. I don't, I don't think you read time. much of anything, Kevin. Like, I can forgive not reading Memecraft, but like, I don't think you read books at all. And I'm saying that as someone who also doesn't read books. Demonstrably untrue. Now, the story of Pontypool is about a radio station, and they're hanging out in the radio station, and then they get an announcement from the government that says, don't use the English language, don't use proper nouns, don't use uh, expressions of affection or you know diminutives or whatever. And then they realize that the reason why they're being given this instruction is that there is a virus that's spreading that's causing them, them to get aphasia, and then become word zombies and get violent. And it's a fun movie. It's a bit silly, but I quite enjoyed it. And it's an information hazard movie. The other one that I think of when I think of information hazards that's a much more um, kind of straightforward one is the film Videodrome. If I've you seen the film Videodrome. But, uh, a friend tried to get me to watch that in high school, but I never got around to it. Videodrome is a Canadian film by Cronenberg. It is about a guy who runs a shitty, low-rent, late-night pornography channel, and he's looking for good things to put on his channel, and he finds Videodrome, which is uh, basically like a a pirated snuff broadcast. And it's only later throughout the film that he realizes that the Videodrome broadcast can induce certain physical changes in the viewer. So make his head explode? Is that where that gif comes from? I don't know what gif you're referring to. 
That's from scanners, I believe. You guys are making it very difficult to do this show. Because if you finish the show, then you'll infect. Nah, never mind. We did this bit already. Oh, um, another one I just thought of that I've seen. So fuck you, Kevin. Uh, the ring, the VHS tape with the girl, and when you watch it, she comes out of the well and then she crawls out of the TV. Does that does that count? I think, so. I, I think that counts. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely counts. I guess. I guess then, um, when I really, when you really think about it, all hazards are info hazards because all objects are made of information. You know, an atom is a type of media storage, same as any other. I can't. I don't even know where to start with that with you. Anyway, um, but the difference between like uh, info hazard and like something that's not an info hazard is that like things can be like not dangerous to you and you not know about them. <laughs>